Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a strawberry daiquiri. How about you, Jenny? I'm drinking a hard cider. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard that was orchestrated by her daughter, Gypsy Rose, and the scandal that followed. Claudine Dee Dee Petre was born on May 3rd, 1967 in Chack Bay, Louisiana. She was one of five children and was very close to her mother. It's believed that her mother neglected her other children and focused all of her attention on Dee Dee. Dee Dee worked as a nurse's aide at some point in her life. She met Rod Blanchard, and four to six months after they started dating, she became pregnant. Rod was 17 and Dee Dee was 24. They got married, but separated soon after when Rod, now 18, realized he got married for quote-unquote the wrong reasons. Soon after their separation, Gypsy Rose Blanchard was born. Rod said Dee Dee liked the name Gypsy and he was a Guns N' Roses fan. Gypsy was born healthy, but at three months old, Rod said Dee Dee was convinced Gypsy had sleep apnea. Rod remembers that the doctors couldn't find anything wrong in spite of three rounds of tests and a sleep monitor. Dee Dee insisted Gypsy needed a heart monitor that she'd have to wear while she slept because she stopped breathing in her sleep or she'd have seizures in the middle of the night. Dee Dee explained the increasingly bewildering array of health issues to Rod by saying that Gypsy had a chromosomal defect claiming that all of Gypsy's health problems stemmed from that. At five years old, Dee Dee declared Gypsy could no longer walk because she had muscular dystrophy. Dee Dee insisted to one doctor after another that her daughter had muscular dystrophy, even after a muscle biopsy proved she didn't. Gypsy was given a walker to help her with her mobility. She began homeschooling between five and eight years old, and she even taught herself to read by reading the Harry Potter books. At age seven, Gypsy was in a minor motorcycle accident with her grandfather. She remembers only skinning her knee during the incident, but her mother told her the doctors wanted her in a wheelchair from now on because she was paralyzed from the waist down. Around this time, Dee Dee also began to get in trouble with the law. She was found to be writing bad checks, so she and Gypsy moved out of her father's house to their own home in Slidell, Louisiana, where they lived in public housing. Dee Dee did not work, and they lived off of disability and social security checks, food stamps, and Rod's child support payments. The pair spent much of their time visiting doctors due to Gypsy's continuing list of medical conditions. Dee Dee told doctors that Gypsy had seizures every couple months, so they put her on anti-seizure medications. She also claimed that Gypsy had problems with her eyes and ears, too. If Gypsy had a cold or cough, she was taken to the emergency room. Doctors performed multiple surgeries on Gypsy throughout her life, including removal of her salivary glands because of excessive drooling, eye surgeries, ear surgeries, and surgeries to help her excessive vomiting. Many of Gypsy's teeth rotted and had to be removed as well. While waiting for Gypsy to recover from numerous operations, Dee Dee stayed at various Ronald McDonald houses for free. When Gypsy was eight years old, Dee Dee described her as suffering from leukemia, learning disabilities, and muscular dystrophy and said she required a wheelchair and a feeding tube. She would regularly shave Gypsy's hair, saying that the chemo treatments would make it fall out anyway. Because of that, Gypsy often wore wigs. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina devastated areas of Louisiana. The power in Slidell was off for weeks. 
Dee Dee and Gypsy sought refuge at a special needs shelter in Covington, Louisiana, with pictures of their old apartment in rubble. Dee Dee told the shelter staff that she didn't have Gypsy's medical records or birth certificate with her because they'd been destroyed in the flood. The story of the doting mother and her disabled daughter made headlines and local charities took notice. Dee Dee and Gypsy were airlifted to Missouri in September 2005, where they rented a house in Aurora. They lived there until March 2008 when their Habitat for Humanity home on West Volunteer Way in Springfield, Missouri was built. Their house was pink and had a customized wheelchair ramp for Gypsy. While living in Springfield, they interacted with other charities, including the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and received donations from neighbors. Dee Dee and Gypsy were given everything from free flights from a volunteer pilot's organization, stays at a lodge for cancer patients, a wheelchair-accessible car, free concert tickets and backstage passes, and free trips to Disney World. Gypsy was even named Child of the Year by the Olay Foundation in 2007. The community was charmed by Dee Dee and Gypsy. Gypsy had a high-pitched voice and extremely childlike appearance and personality. She loved fairy tales and playing dress-up. They made friends easily with neighbors, including Aaliyah with Nancy, who thought of herself as a big sister to Gypsy. She remembers talking to Gypsy about boys and says that Gypsy just wanted to be a normal girl. She also claims that Dee Dee disapproved of their conversations and destroyed computers and cell phones so the girls couldn't communicate. Rodri married and had two more children, but played an active part in the first decade of Gypsy's life. He remembers going to the Special Olympics with Gypsy and his family. His wife, Christy, remembers Gypsy being very happy. He claims to have questioned Dee Dee about the daughter's supposed medical conditions, but her response was always, quote, she has a disease and it will progressively get worse and that she would be bound to the wheelchair all of her life, end quote. Dee Dee never left Gypsy alone with Rod during their visit. He continued to send $1,200 a month in child support to a New Orleans bank account. He also sent the occasional gifts Dee Dee asked for, including television sets and a Nintendo Wii. Rod and Christy always planned to visit, but Dee Dee would always change the plans, making it impossible for them to see Gypsy. Dee Dee told Rod very little of the charity drives and free things they received, even as Rod was supporting his daughter and attempting to maintain his relationship with her. Dee Dee told doctors and new friends in Missouri that he was a drug addict who abandoned Gypsy. He continued to send these things even after Gypsy turned 18 because Dee Dee said Gypsy still required full-time care. When he called Gypsy for her 18th birthday, he remembers Dee Dee telling him to not mention that she was turning 18 because Gypsy thought she was 14 and had the mentality of a 7-year-old. As Gypsy grew older, she saw independence like any teenager would. She would regularly talk to men online as an escape. Gypsy enjoyed attending sci-fi conventions, and at one convention, she set up a meeting with a 35-year-old man she had met online. The two went to his hotel room where Dee Dee found them and showed him papers indicating Gypsy was a minor. In response, Dee Dee smashed the family computer with a hammer. She eventually brought another one but supervised Gypsy's use of it. Gypsy managed to get back online when her mother slept and created multiple Facebook profiles. In 2012, she joined a Christian dating website and met Nicholas Godejohn. 
Nick was 23 years old and living in Big Ben, Wisconsin. He was working at a pizza shop at the time and is on the autism spectrum and suffered from mental health issues. He had been arrested once for carrying a knife and masturbating while watching porn at a McDonald's. The couple enjoyed watching BDSM and had characters and roles for each other. They would often take pictures of themselves in costumes, gypsy dressing up at one point as the comic book character Harley Quinn posing with a knife. Most importantly, Gypsy told Nick the truth that she and her mother Dee Dee had been lying to everyone. Gypsy revealed that her mother had been forcing her to pretend she was disabled. Gypsy actually could walk and in fact didn't need a wheelchair. She could eat and knew that her feeding tube wasn't necessary and she admitted that she was unsure of her actual age and had been since 2001. In addition, she told Nick that Dee Dee was extremely abusive toward her. Gypsy shared stories of Dee Dee not feeding her for days at a time and how her mother made her use her wheelchair even at home. The abuse became physical in 2011 when her mother beat her with a coat hanger. Their fights would go on for weeks at a time, but Gypsy never fought back because she was afraid. After the 2011 incident at the sci-fi convention, Gypsy claims that Dee Dee then told her, quote, if you ever try to do that again, I will smash your fingers with a hammer, end quote. She said she once tried to run away, but Dee Dee found her a few hours later and severely punished her. Gypsy told ABC News, quote, she physically chained me to the bed and put bells on the doors and told anybody that I probably would have trusted that I was going through a phase and to tell her if I was doing anything behind her back, end quote. Dee Dee exhibited total control over Gypsy in public as well. Gypsy says her mom would hold her hand and squeeze it if Gypsy ever spoke out of line in front of others. Aaliyah remembers Gypsy telling her how in love she was with Nick and saying they had already picked out names for their children. She advised Gypsy to end contact with Nick, claiming he could be a sexual predator in disguise. In March 2015, Gypsy paid for Nick to visit her in Springfield. She arranged for him to meet her and her mother at a local movie theater and pretend like the two were strangers just hitting it off. But Dee Dee did not approve, calling Nick, quote, creepy and weird, end quote. During their meeting at the theater, they had sex in a bathroom stall. Gypsy has said after meeting Nick, her mom became jealous and that they argued for weeks. At this point, Gypsy desperately wanted to escape her mother and her plot with Nick to kill Dee Dee began. She had asked Nick if he would protect her from her mom, to which he replied yes. On June 14, 2015, Gypsy once again paid for Nick to return to Springfield. He waited at a nearby motel until Dee Dee fell asleep. Gypsy let him into the house and gave him rubber gloves, duct tape, and a knife. Nick went into Dee Dee's bedroom and stabbed her 17 times while Gypsy hid in the bathroom. She heard her mother's cries for help. Gypsy said, quote, and at that point, I wanted to help her so bad, but I was so afraid to get up. It's like my body wouldn't move. Then everything just went quiet, end quote. Nick and Gypsy proceeded to have sex after the murder, and Gypsy claims this encounter stopped being consensual at a certain point. They then cleaned up the murder scene, stole $4,000 from Dee Dee's safe before heading to Nick's motel in a cab. The cab driver would later say, quote, The girl looked 12, sounded 5, and had a 40-year-old's attitude. He continued by saying, She was not afraid to tell me off. I just knew there was something wrong, end quote. In the days following the murder, Nick and Gypsy carried on with their lives like normal. 
They mailed the murder weapon to Nick's home in Wisconsin before traveling there on a Greyhound bus. Neither thought they'd ever be caught. While at Nick's house, Gypsy made a Facebook post on her and Dee Dee's shared account that read, quote, that bitch is dead. Gypsy later admitted she wrote the post so that someone would find her mother's body. Frightened, friends rushed to the Blanchard home and saw no sign of either Dee Dee or Gypsy. Police quickly entered the home and found Gypsy's wheelchair and the body of Dee Dee inside their residence. Friends and family feared the worst, knowing that Gypsy was somewhere without her wheelchair and medications. It didn't take long, though, for police to track the IP address of the computer that the post was made on. Both Gypsy and Nick were soon arrested and charged with Dee Dee's murder. Police interview tapes showed Gypsy pretending to be shocked when told her mother was dead. Initially, both pled not guilty to first-degree murder. Nick confessed to police after being told Gypsy had confessed and even told the police that he had thought about raping Dee Dee's body. He admitted that he committed the murder because Gypsy asked him to. Police couldn't believe a supposed paraplegic suffering from muscular dystrophy, epilepsy, leukemia, and confined to a wheelchair was capable of killing her mom. The Greene County Sheriff's Office told the public that things were not as they appeared and announced that Gypsy and Dee Dee had been lying about Gypsy's health and that she could in fact walk. Loved ones were shocked when they first saw Gypsy walk into a courtroom. Public defender Michael Stanfield was appointed to Gypsy's case. Alongside him was a retired public defender, a paralegal, and an investigator. Stanfield has described this as, quote, the most complicated case he'll ever get, end quote. He knew something was wrong when he saw the organized medicine closet that Dee Dee kept for Gypsy. Nothing in the Blanchard home was clean and put together other than this closet. It took him months to get Gypsy's own medical records because Dee Dee had set up a power of attorney over Gypsy's medical decisions after Gypsy had turned 18. The hospitals refused to help even though the power of attorney did not surrender Gypsy's rights to look at her own medical documents. Once he received her records, he was stunned. It turned out Gypsy was 23 and never had cancer, epilepsy, or any of the other ailments Dee Dee claimed Gypsy had. Yet, Dee Dee had still been given Gypsy medications for these illnesses. Like we said, Gypsy knew she could walk and eat, but never knew she did not suffer from leukemia. Stanfield immediately contacted the prosecutor and worked out a plea deal. Gypsy pled guilty to second-degree murder in July of 2016 and was given the minimum sentence of 10 years. Nick went to trial in November of 2018. Everyone agreed that Nick did murder Dee Dee, but the real argument was whether or not Nick was capable of deliberation, a necessary component of first-degree murder. The prosecution alleged Nick had planned the murder for over a year and showed text exchanges between him and Gypsy to strengthen their argument. The defense emphasized Nick's autism and focused on Gypsy as the mastermind and Nick as a love-struck young man doing her bidding. A psychological evaluation showed that Nick was, quote, particularly vulnerable and, quote, mentally more child than adult. Gypsy was not required to testify against Nick, 
but did appear on the third day of his trial and share lots of information, including that the couple thought having a baby would force Didi to accept them, but that Nick's mom wouldn't allow that to happen. So they went to plan B, murdering Didi. She agreed that the murder plot was her idea and that she talked him into it because she was too squeamish. She claimed it was Nick's idea to stab Didi and that she sent him a photo of a knife for approval. Nick was found guilty of criminal action and first-degree murder and given a mandatory life in prison without the possibility of parole sentence in February of 2019. Rod and his wife Christy went through Didi's documents and discovered a forged birth certificate claiming that Gypsy had been born in 1995 instead of her actual birth year of 1991. They discovered that Didi had been looking up foundations she could contact and get help from and lied about Gypsy's age to get more assistance. The foundations that helped Gypsy and Didi said they all believed Gypsy was sick when they made their donations. Since Didi's death, her family has been open about Didi's manipulative behavior. Relatives claimed that she would steal from them as a form of retaliation when she did not get her way. Didi's stepmother, Laura, claims that Didi tried to kill her by putting the weed killer Roundup in her food. She was bedridden for nine months afterwards. It's believed by some that Didi might have actually succeeded in killing her own mother by starving her. Her father has said that Didi, quote, got what she deserved, end quote, and admitted to flushing her ashes down the toilet. Gypsy went off of all her medications and has no recent health problems. In the Greene County Jail, where she stayed while awaiting sentencing, she met weekly with a therapist. She has been eager to speak with journalists and told BuzzFeed News that, quote, she wants people to know wasn't a situation where a girl killed her mom to be with her boyfriend. This was a situation of a girl trying to escape abuse, end quote. She went on to say that she first started to notice something was wrong at age 19 when she tried meeting the man at the sci-fi convention. She wondered why her mother wouldn't let her have friends or let her be alone. Gypsy doesn't believe she played an active role in deceiving others, but instead feels like a pawn that was also manipulated and in the dark about the truth. Nick has described the days before and after Dee Dee's murder as some of the best days of his life. In an Oxygen TV documentary, he said, quote, From the very beginning, I just knew we were soulmates. Those five days when I was actually with her, physically with her, those five days were the most intense and magical and awe-inspiring days I've ever had, end quote. He also told ABC's 2020, quote, I felt horrible about it, it being the murder. When me and her were in the hotel room, she kept on telling me, stop crying, stop crying. There's no reason to cry. It was my idea. It wasn't yours. I prayed once I got to jail. I tried to get her mother's soul to forgive me. I did what I did because I loved her. I really wanted a life with her. I really did. End quote. Gypsy has moved on from Nick, claiming he had anger issues and had similar controlling behavior to her mother. In 2019, she became engaged to her prison pen pal. Her friends and family are happy for her and say that she deserves to be in love. They plan to marry after she is released from jail. In prison, Gypsy received her GED. The now 29-year-old may be paroled as early as December 2023. She hopes one day to write a book to help others in her situation, and she says not a day goes by where she does not miss her mother. 
I would say that this case is one of probably the most known cases of the decade. I know in other episodes we've talked about the O.J. Simpson and the Lorena Bobbitt cases being the trial of the decade, but I feel like this has been a recent one that's gotten a lot of notoriety and people really are interested in it and split down the middle. Dee Dee and Gypsy were local celebrities in their community and the public was shocked to learn about their deception. Many people felt guilty and they felt like they could have done something to help Gypsy. Some wonder if the Blanchards had been laughing at everyone the entire time. When talking about this case, a BuzzFeed News journalist said, quote, A tale of child abuse as long and as involved as what Gypsy experienced might have inspired public sympathy. But something about the fraud element deeply offended people, particularly those who hadn't known Gypsy or Dee Dee at all, end quote. Friends and families of Dee Dee and Gypsies were questioned about their knowledge of the cons, and Facebook groups were developed to discuss Gypsy and the case. This case unfortunately made some people fearful of others lying about disabilities and illnesses as well. The focus on deception in this case turned to Gypsy's abuse, and more people began to view her as a victim than a cold-blooded killer. And many documentaries and dramatizations have been made about this story. There was the act on Hulu, which received criticism from family and friends for portraying Dee Dee in a more sympathetic light. They said that Dee Dee in the show was made to look like she was struggling with her health and that sometimes Gypsy set up some of their deception, which friends and family say is really not what truthfully happened. And one positive thing, though, about the act in particular, Gypsy said that she enjoyed Joey King's portrayal of her and would like to meet her someday. The thing I've seen that might be controversial is people dressing up as Gypsy and Dee Dee for Halloween. Have you seen anything like that, Del? I have not, but just the thought of someone dressing up as a murderer and their murder victim definitely leaves me uneasy. Especially someone... That was like abused as a child too, I think it's pretty gross. I know I love drag and some drag queens have dressed up as Gypsy and portrayed her on Drag Race, I believe, during the Snatch Game where they do impersonations of people. I think it's just like overall kind of icky and in poor taste. How do you think you would feel if you were a friend or family of Gypsy and Dee Dee when the truth came out? How do you think you'd react? I think that I would be really hurt. I think that when you lie to someone, you really erode the trust that they have in other people and being able to trust other people's words. So if I was someone who was constantly lied to to such a big extent, I would feel hurt and I would also feel angry. Like, why did you have to do that? Why did you have to go out your way to disrupt my view of reality and what was actually going on? How about you? We mentioned a lot of people feeling guilty, and I feel like that might be at the forefront of my mind, just thinking, were there any signs that Gypsy was being abused? But I agree, I definitely would feel very hurt, and maybe like I had some egg on my face too, like you had gotten played. Because who would ever question someone with a disability or a parent saying their child had a disability. Right. It's the respect that we give parents to really know what's going on with their child that I feel like was manipulated in this case, where 
people didn't want to question Dee Dee because that is her child and who's going to know a child better than their mother and then like you said they ended up with egg on their face because of that many people now seem to view gypsy and nick as victims but opinions are split on whether their sentences for the crimes were fair gypsy faced years of life-altering abuse and suffering at the hands of her mother a munchausen syndrome by proxy expert said quote the control was total in the same sense that the control of a kidnapped victim sometimes is total her daughter was in essence a hostage and i think we can understand the crime that occurred subsequently in terms of a hostage trying to gain escape end quote Gypsy never thought to question her mom or reach out for help. She was afraid and she also had just been taught that you listen to your parents and you trust what they say because who would really think that your parents are out to hurt you? Gypsy herself even said the line between right and wrong was blurred because that's what I was taught. She has gone on to say that she wishes she did tell someone instead of telling Nick. Maybe someone like her friend Aaliyah would have been a good uh, answer. So many people ask her and want to know, why didn't you ever just stand up in public and get out of that wheelchair and shock everyone? But she said she just never thought to and that she was trained to do as she was told, which I definitely understand. We have to remember too, Gypsy was a child for most of her abuse and was treated like a child pretty much her entire life up until the crime. Gypsy has said that there's a difference between wanting someone killed and actually killing someone. And she said that's part of the difference between her and Nick. But some people do wonder what's in store for Gypsy's future when she is released after her sentence. The same Munchausen expert featured in the documentary Mommy Dead and Dearest said he believed Gypsy is afflicted with some degree of sociopathy pointing to her behavior after the murder, which was her lying to the police saying she had no idea her mom was killed. She lied to her dad and her stepmom saying to not believe what was on the news. And we all know that she did in fact play a major part in her mom's death. And an investigative journalist who spoke with Gypsy said, I do think Gypsy is potentially dangerous. Dee Dee was a master manipulator. It's impossible that Gypsy would not have picked up on this and used it. She has shown remorse for killing her mom. Ironically, Gypsy has more freedom in prison than she ever had with Dee Dee. She actually gained weight in prison which just went to show how malnourished she was when she was in Dee Dee's care. And she has accepted her role in the crime and her punishment, even saying that her time behind bars is good for her and that she can now live like a normal woman. What do you think about all that, Del? So I disagree with the heart of it because it is painting the picture that Gypsy has this complete lack of responsibility for what she did. It's trying to minimize the role that she played in the murder of her mother. I totally understand that she was abused, and I do think that that is a mitigating factor, but I don't believe her when she's saying things like there's a difference between wanting to kill someone and actually killing someone trying to create that division between her and Nick if you are conspiring to murder someone you are as culpable for that murder as the person that actually pulled the trigger or stabbed the person in this case I see no 
difference in the level of involvement between Gypsy and Nick. And I think that just like Dee Dee was a manipulator, Gypsy is also a manipulator and she is using what happened to her to try to obfuscate her role in this crime. I have to agree. When I was first looking into the case for this episode, I was really on Gypsy's side and sympathetic, but that same line, what she said about, oh, there's a difference between wanting to kill someone, that stuck out to me too. And I thought that was kind of gross. I don't know how you can really accept what your role in the crime was and then say, oh, there's a difference. Of course, there's a difference between, you know, physically doing it. But at the same time, you still wanted that person dead and you went to real length to get it done. She absolutely is a victim and we need to consider that. And I'm glad that she did receive therapy in jail and I hope she can get that once she's released. I've seen some people say that she shouldn't be in jail at all, which I definitely don't agree with. And it's a very complex issue when victims kill their abusers. And I think Gypsy's case is really unique because she planned to do this. It wasn't like a spur of the moment, heat of the moment type thing where we see with some people like Lorena Bobbitt, for instance, she had been raped that night and then attacked her husband or even some people who they're about to be abused or they see their child being abused or something and they just can't take it anymore. Gypsy was methodical about it. I think that that these journalists and experts do have some good evidence because it's not Gypsy's fault, but that is how she was raised. She was around so much manipulation, even if she wasn't aware of all of it. She was around it and that's what she was taught. And I would say it kind of is ingrained in her, whether she really realizes it or not. And I do wonder what she'll be like once she's out. I definitely think she could be an upstanding citizen, but I also can kind of see her back in jail somehow. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because she has never had to take care of herself in her life. She went from being under her mother's control to being under the control of the state. So I am curious to see what will happen to her once she's out and she actually has to make some very active decisions about what's going on with her life. Um, Whether she can do that in a non-criminal way remains to be seen. But just to piggyback off of your point of, you know, her being an active part of this, it can be argued that she played a more active role in her mother dying than Nick did. Because if it had not been for her paying for Nick to be there, paying for his hotel, letting him in, she even helped him find a knife. So with all that, you can look at it and say, well, actually, she manipulated Nick. She set it all up. And all Nick had to do to be with his woman, to be with his love, was to kill and people do kill for love gypsy has said that she was super honest with nick and she was probably honest about the abuse so nick could have a savior complex and he's coming in saying Dee Dee is abusing gypsy Dee Dee is not letting gypsy live her life i'm gonna be the one that gets gypsy out of this so it makes me way more sympathetic to Nicholas than I am to Gypsy. That's a really good point. And going off of that too, she was hiding in the bathroom. She did have the option to run in there and stop everything. 
no one was forcing her to hide in there. And Del, I think you brought up a few good points that Nick and Gypsy really seem to live in a fantasy world. And I know that they were both suffering from abuse and I would say some mental health issues, but it's really mind-blowing. You need them both to have the crime, but I agree. I do think that Gypsy manipulated Nick somehow. I don't know if she realized she was doing it, but I feel like probably at some point she realized that she could have Nick do whatever she wanted. And I'm not trying to paint her to be this horrible person because I really do feel for her. And I really do enjoy listening to her speak. I think it's very fascinating, but I think some of her role does get downplayed, like you said. Right. And when it comes to whether she manipulated Nick or not, we do need to also bring up the fact that Nick is on the spectrum and he does have mental health issues. In his police statement, Nick said that he used to take medication for the voices he heard and that he may have dissociative identity disorder. Nick received multiple psychological evaluations that confirmed that he was on the autism spectrum, and they also revealed that he had an IQ of 82. A psychologist that evaluated Nick said that he struggles with his memory and processing speeds, and he often forgets to shower or brush his teeth. Another psychologist working for the prosecution confirmed the diagnosis and said that Nick was on the autism spectrum at a level one, which is the least severe level. The maker of Mommy Dead and Dearest said, quote, I believe he is also a victim here. I use the word victim because he has a severe mental illness, but he did know what he was doing was wrong. At least I think he did, end quote. Nick has said, quote, all the planning Gypsy did, every bit of it. She pretty much willed the knife into my hand to commit the deed herself. She is the mastermind behind the entire thing. I was basically a hired hitman in its own weird sense, end quote. That's pretty damning. But then again, I feel like you could use that to say he's downplaying what he did. So I definitely agree that I think both of them are downplaying their role. But I tend to see Nick's explanation of it as a just, listen, I'm not saying that I didn't actually commit the deed myself. I'm just saying that I wouldn't have if it wasn't for Gypsy. Like, he wasn't just going out finding someone to murder. He murdered a specific person for Gypsy. You're right, Del. That's a good point. Something I found interesting in his trial was that the jury could have convicted him of lesser sentences, which would have been second-degree murder or involuntary manslaughter. I definitely don't think involuntary manslaughter would have been acceptable because he definitely did do some planning on it. But because they did convict him of first-degree murder, his life in prison sentence is the mandatory sentence for first-degree murder since the death penalty was taken off of the table at the, I guess, beginning of the trial. So people could very well argue that that's an issue with mandatory sentences because Nick I would say has special circumstances in his case. And I've seen many people say that he should be in a mental health facility rather than jail. What are your thoughts on that? So I don't think that he should be in a mental health facility. I think prison is where he should be. He did commit a murder, which included planning the murder, traveling for it. But I definitely understand why people would push for him to be in that mental health facility. Prisons are not known for 
being very capable of handling people who have the mental health conditions that Nick has, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't belong in prison. I agree. And to me, I think of it as if he was so in love with one person and they told him to kill someone, could this very easily happen again if he becomes so involved with another person would he just be able to go out and hurt another human being again munchausen syndrome by proxy is a mental health problem in which a caregiver makes up or causes an illness or injury in a person under his or her care such as a child an elderly adult or a person who has a disability. Because vulnerable people are the victims, Munchausen is a form of child abuse or elder abuse. It can also be called fictitious disorder imposed on another. Signs of Munchausen can include lying about symptoms, changing test results so someone appears ill or more ill than they actually are, physically harming someone to produce symptoms, and also a caregiver suddenly changing doctors or lying about prior testing and treatment. The attention that caregivers get from having a sick child may encourage their behaviors. Caregivers may get attention not only from doctors and nurses, but also from others in the community. For example, neighbors may try to help the family in many ways, such as by doing chores, bringing meals, or giving money. There is no known cause of Munchausen, but it may be linked problems in an abuser's childhood. Rod, Dee Dee's ex-husband, has said, I think Dee Dee's problem was she started a web of lies and there was no escaping after. She got so wound up in it, it was like a tornado got started and then once she was in so deep, there was no escaping. One lie had to cover another, had to cover another, and that was her life. Gypsy, when she was in jail, she was able to look up Munchausen syndrome and she said that her mom matched every symptom that she read. And some other examples of Munchausen syndrome by proxy include mommy blogger Lacey Spears, who was sentenced to 20 years to life for the second degree murder of her five-year-old son Garnet. She blogged about his medical journey and his health, but she had been secretly poisoning her son with life-threatening doses of salt through a feeding tube, and she insists that she does not have Munchausen syndrome. There's also Texas mom Hope Ibarra, who lied about having cancer and about her youngest daughter having medical issues. Her daughter was never actually sick until Hope injected her with pathogens that sent her into anaphylactic shock. Hope also later admitted to using nasal spray to alter the results of a sweat test for cystic fibrosis and draining her daughter's blood little by little with a syringe. And she did later admit that she wanted people to pay attention to her and that was the reason she did this. I think one of the biggest questions people have when hearing about Gypsy is how no one seemed to question Dee Dee, no friends, family, or medical professionals. Gypsy visited 150 doctors with Dee Dee, and she's claimed that Dee Dee would tell her to be quiet and play with a toy during their visits. And it's clear in her records that Gypsy didn't speak during appointments because there's literally notes from doctors that say, mother said, mother claimed, mother told symptoms of XYZ. Gypsy has said that Dee Dee used her southern charm to get doctors on her side and that she convinced many of them to prescribe Gypsy with unnecessary medicine or give her unnecessary surgeries, which 
I think that's one of the most mind-blowing things about this case is that this poor girl was operated on and she did not need to be. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think the medical abuse that Gypsy suffered at the hands of Dee Dee definitely doesn't get as much attention as it should. And the fact that so many doctors, 150 doctors, seemingly just went along with it. They seemingly didn't trust their tests that they were running. And while most doctors went along with Dee Dee's claims, at least one doctor was suspicious. Pediatric neurologist Bernardo Flasterstein saw no reason why Gypsy couldn't walk and questioned the diagnosis of muscular dystrophy. After talking to other doctors that worked with Gypsy, he noted that her previous diagnoses were wrong and, quote, there was a strong possibility of Munchausen by proxy with maybe some underlying unknown ideology to explain her symptoms, end quote. Didi stopped seeing him after that visit and she complained about him on her way out. He never followed up and felt that if he told social services, they wouldn't believe him. He regrets not being more aggressive and doing something. Gypsy later said, quote, it makes me frustrated that none of the other doctors could see that I was perfectly healthy, that my legs were not skinny like someone who was really paralyzed, end quote. In 2009, someone called the police asking for a wellness check because they did not believe Gypsy suffered from all of the ailments her mother claimed. Dee Dee explained away any questions police had and police noted that Gypsy suffered from a mental handicap. There are like claims that her mom might have had Munchausen as well and that she like did similar things to Gypsy but I don't think people really know because her mom is dead and so is she now. Unfortunately, Gypsy is not the first child that plotted to kill their parents, and she will not be the last. The act of killing your parents is called parricide, and the act of killing your mother is known as matricide, which is what Gypsy would have committed. So we have a few other examples of pretty well-known cases of children of varying ages that have killed their parents. One of the most well-known cases is that of the Menendez brothers. Lau and Eric Menendez were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for the 1989 double murder of their mother and father. Suspicions arose after the pair spent almost half of their father's fortune in the month following the murders. Eric confessed to his therapist that he murdered his parents and Lau later confessed as well. Their trial was aired on TV, and their case was riddled with controversy. During the trial, they claimed their father was sexually abusive and ran a strict household while their mother allowed the abuse to happen. There's also the case of Canadian Jennifer Pan. 24-year-old Jennifer Pan planned a murder-for-hire and fake home invasion that was supposed to leave both of her parents dead in November 2010. In actuality, her mother was killed, but her dad survived with serious injuries. Her parents discovered that she had been lying to them for almost a decade about her education and career and went as far as forging report cards and diplomas to keep up her lie. She was forced to move home once they found out her lie and end her relationship with her boyfriend. And at home, the relationship with her parents became even more strained. She says that her parents were extremely strict and abusive. She admitted to originally hiring a hitman to kill her father, but the hitman took 
Hermione and Ren. She did testify saying that leading up to the 2010 incident that she had hired someone she knew to kill her, not her parents, but called off the deal just days before the crime was supposed to happen as her family's life began to improve. The jury, I guess, didn't buy that and she was sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Lizzie Andrew Warren was tried and acquitted of the August 4th, 1892 axe murder of her father and stepmother in Fall River, Massachusetts. No one else was charged in the murders, and despite being acquitted, many still believe that she was the killer. She was 32 and still lived at home, but wanted her wealthy father to move the family to the wealthier side of town. Lizzie showed no emotions following the murders, gave police different stories, and tried to purchase deadly parisic acid a day before the murders at a nearby drugstore. The public didn't believe a woman or a wealthy person could commit such a crime which helped Lizzie go free. The case inspired the rhyme. Lizzie Borton took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. In reality, her stepmom was struck with a hatchet 19 times and her father 29. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about this case. Make sure you click the subscribe button. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube every Wednesday with a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at Crime Corruption Cocktails and on Twitter at Charade Inc. Please consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us get better equipment and bring higher quality content to you. We appreciate any amount you can give. This is Jenny and Dale signing off. Stay safe.